Buju. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Cashew Podcast. As we all continue to navigate the many ups and downs of life during a pandemic, I hope you continue to stay well and find gratitude in even the smallest of things each day. In today's episode, I was fortunate to visit and chat with Minnesota's Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. There are many things that I love and appreciate about Lieutenant Governor Flanagan, but a couple things that stand out to me include her ability to stay grounded in her values and the genuine hope and positivity she carries in even the most challenging times. During our conversation, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan discusses how she has been navigating change and loss due to COVID-19, including how she's taking care of herself and her family. Lieutenant Governor Flanagan highlights some of the ways that she and Governor Walls continue to advocate for vulnerable children and families during this time, including important policy changes that are underway. I really enjoyed my time with Lieutenant Governor Flanagan today and I hope you enjoy the conversation as well. You may also notice the emergency sirens going off in the background and possibly even my cat shuffling across my table multiple times. And well, that's the reality of working from home. Relatable content, right? Happy listening. Today I'm talking with Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan of Minnesota. Peggy, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I think that's always a, a really interesting question right now as we we find ourselves in a in a pandemic. Um, and it's uh, it's been um, a kind of difficult year for our family, um, 2020, but I think for a lot of, a lot of families, uh, it's been a, a difficult year. Um, we uh, we lost my dad in January and then in March. Um, my uh, brother um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer and then shortly thereafter contracted COVID uh, and um, uh, passed away due to complications from from COVID-19. And so uh, this has been really personal uh, for me. And I know that it's been really personal for a lot of um, a lot of Minnesotans as as well. but you know, I'm I am uh, also uh, grateful for for my health, um, for uh, for time with my husband and with my my kiddo, and just that we've been able to um, try to figure out how to navigate this uh, as a as a family uh, as well. So um, the work looks different right now for for all of us as we are. Uh, on phone calls and uh, video conferencing. And one big adjustment just for me has been, you know, Governor Walls and I uh, are truly partners. And so uh, we literally sit next to each other at the head of our our, our long conference table. Uh, most days uh, bef- before the pandemic, that's what we did. And so um, it's weird to not be working. <laughs> With, uh, with my buddy side by side each day, um, but we are in uh, constant uh, communication um, with each other and uh, are navigating also distance learning with my seven-year-old, like so many people, and there are good days and there are bad days, um, but everyone's sort of just doing their best right now, and I think that's that's really that's really all that we can uh, can do in this in this moment um that's just huge and stressful and overwhelming and um 
and just try to navigate through it and, and do our best. Absolutely. Well, and I know myself and, and many others in community are, you know, we have, we're sending so much love to you and your family and knowing that it's been a really tough year and just really feeling, feeling all of those feelings um, about around everyone being impacted in so many ways during this pandemic. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about like, what are some of the coping techniques you're using and how you're taking care of yourself and as well as your family while you're at home and continuing to work lots and like you said, distant learning. For sure. So, you know, we, um, we try to get outside as much as we can uh, every day. And so, um, we have a, a loop that we do that's like four miles, um, which uh, before the pandemic, I would never have been like, let's go for a four mile walk, everybody. Right. Um, so that, you know, that is new. And uh, my daughter is constantly uh, on her scooter and scooting around or on her bike or we're flying kites and um, just trying to do uh, to just trying to do as much as we can to just be um outside. And uh, one of the the good things I think that's happening is that this pandemic is is happening during a time when the days are getting longer, it's getting warmer, and we can um, spend that time uh, out of out of the house in a way that is is safe. Um, you know, we wear masks when we're we're around a lot of people uh, in in parks and that type of thing, um, uh, but are, are trying to do that. And and I just also have to say that um, you know as a Ojibwe woman, uh, there are things that we have at our disposal to to be able to care for ourselves. And um, my friend Sarah Brokenleg uh, sent me a care package that had traditional tobacco um, from all over the region and uh, some cedar. And um, we try to to smudge every day. And even though um, we have to stay apart, which is, I think, so <laughs> counterintuitive to just like who we are culturally and as a community. But those are our traditional medicines are, are one of the ways that we can stay connected to each other um, during this time. And they are the things that have gotten us through uh, previous pandemics and, and challenges as well. And so that's been um, that's been good. And just trying to find some time to um to get on on Zoom and and see family and friends uh, in in ways that um, uh, I'm appreciative that we have sort of you know Jetsons technology now where we can where we can see each other um, and and have these conversations and also yeah. like just to be honest like I'm also eating my feelings like many other <laughs> Minnesotans um, during this time and uh, watching really terrible uh, uh, television um, on, on Netflix and Hulu. And I won't share with you uh, what those shows are because you you might lose a little respect for me, but I can guarantee um, uh, if it's trashy, I'm probably watching it. <laughs> so are the rest of us. So yes. are the rest of us. And I feel like, I'm. have you made a loaf of banana bread in pandemic life? I have yet. not yet okay. made a loaf of banana bread, but I can tell you, uh, uh, my good friend, Representative uh, Jamie Becker Finn, um, dropped off like several pounds of wild rice from Leech Lake, and so um, we are having wild rice for dinner, wild rice for lunch, um, berries, and wild rice uh, for breakfast. So, like, I feel like 
you know, that is the thing that I can kind of, you know, get Zen about and, and cook. And so we have a lot of that uh, happening in our, in our family uh, meals right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and uh, along with the traditional medicines and taking care of ourselves and like even wild rice being nourishing and good, healthy food for us. So I'm glad you all are getting a little bit of everything, the good, some trash TV, you know, <laughs> we all got to do what we got to do. That's right. <laughs> and so as you mentioned, you're you're a mama in your home with your your kiddo and your husband and your family. And so as a mom, you understand how challenging it can be for parents and caregivers who are at home with their little ones right now and everyone's struggling and out of routine and, and searching for normalcy. Um, is there anything you can share about efforts that are taking place um, you know, within leadership and, and policy funding around the state to to support our families that are at home right now? You know, I know that's a big question and, and you know, there could be education or other essential services. Um, just anything you can share related to supports for families underway or on the horizon? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I appreciate that question. And I, I think I, I do have quite a, a bit of information to share. But I think, you know, I'll just start by acknowledging how incredibly hard this is uh, for folks. And um, we had big dreams at the beginning of the pandemic to um, have a set schedule every day and uh, to, you know, say like, you know, from eight to nine, we're going to get out and walk and then we're going to do this. And then it's math time and reading. And like, I will be the first to say within like, like day two, that was like all out the window. And so uh, just to, to be clear, um, this is something that we have never done before. And so, uh, you know, it is it is really difficult. And so if you're, you know, if you're someone who's working from home or if you are in a essential position, our essential workers, um, you know, that, uh, you know, are not working at all. Parents are under immense stress as providers and as teachers. Um entertainers, <laughs> supervisors, and, and, you know, that's happening like all at once. So we are lifting up with our partners in the, the legislature and specifically in the nonprofit sector um, and philanthropy ways that we can lift up families, especially right now, um, as, as uh, we are, are also looking very intentionally at our, our families who are most vulnerable during this time. Uh, starting with distance learning, I know this has been an incredible uh, challenge for folks and it is simply amplified um, by families who don't have access to uh, Wi-Fi, reliable internet, um, or devices. Our family also, um, we are grateful that we, uh, our child goes to a district where they had enough resources to be able to provide a Chromebook for students, um, which we don't have an extra computer laying around the house and, you know, and we have one child. And so that's been, been helpful. Um, but I know that not everybody uh, is in that, that position. So our department of education is really focusing on student relationships and connections um, with, uh, with uh, between teachers and, and students and support staff, uh, technology, and then just um, generally student safety and, and well-being. So, um, this traumatic experience has been amplified for our students who are already experiencing trauma, and it's it's why our our focus has really been on ensuring 
um, that those relationships with the students, um, that those are maintained uh, and, and strengthened, if at all possible, giving additional support uh, to educators and to districts through family engagement toolkits, um, resources on building relationships, how, how to um, teach uh, virtually, which is uh, certainly a, a challenge. Um, and also just ideas for uh, communicating and supporting families most impacted by the inequities of, of COVID, um, knowing that things like attendance uh, is uh, a scary issue for many of our families who uh, um, are wary of the child protection system. And um, we know that our children, that Native children and African-American children are removed from homes at higher rates. And so working on strategies there uh, to make sure that truancy does not become an issue where people have to live in fear simply because they cannot connect. Uh, so that's uh, particularly important, um, important to me. Um, and we're also looking for additional resources to support students through technology, starting to think about what summer school looks like uh, and to do safely, and then the ways that that would be able to then inform the fall and, and what that looks like for, for families as well. Um, related to, to child care, um, we have done quite a bit of work there and have created um, uh, supply chains to support childcare providers in cleaning products and hand sanitizers, uh, masks, and launch specific tools to support public health needs for, for those uh, childcare uh, providers. Um, we have proposed and successfully championed $30 million in child care emergency grants um, with $9.8 million going to, out to uh, 1,200 provisor, providers in the, in the last month. Um, philanthropy has also secured uh, an additional $1.5 million in private supports um, for child care as well. Uh, launched mn.gov slash childcare to support providers and families and created weekly updates um, for, uh, for childcare providers who are caring for many of the essential, the children of essential workers um, and are also wanting to protect their, their, themselves and their own families. And then have also helped navigate additional um, uh, financial supports for those, those providers as well. Um, we are in a childcare crisis before this pandemic. And so um, we are desperately trying to do as much as we can to, to not lose ground. Um, we also know that families themselves are, are really struggling. So um, economic stability is a, a really critical issue. We've uh, proposed uh, at the legislature uh, $500 emergency grant to all families who are, who are currently accessing MFIP. Um, our state, uh, of course, our cash assistance uh, program for, for the working poor and for low-income families um, uh, but also like these dollars already exist, right? And all we're asking for right now is for the legislature to allow um, those dollars to be distributed uh, directly to the families who they are made to support. So, um, you know, could use additional uh, support from from your listeners to, to try to get that out over the, the finish line. Um, we stood up substantial changes to our um, unemployment insurance program and federal changes to unemployment benefits while addressing a really unprecedented number of, of applications and then have adapted our public work uh, support programs like SNAP and WIC and healthcare uh, to increase access for families to these 
supports. And this is more, you know, of course, more critical now than than ever before. And um, we are we're grateful uh, that that much of that work has happened uh, quickly uh, to get to families. Um, and then just to ensure that our families have information about um, additional financial resources, uh, federal and state that are available to them. And as we continue to receive additional dollars from the federal government, making sure that those are going to families um, who are in crisis and who are frankly too often are invisible. We're invisible to decision makers before the pandemic and clearly are now. Um, and so we need to be unrelenting and just making sure that the narrative is there about um, the families who are truly in crisis and their crisis has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah. No. And, and when thinking about reopening and kind of that phase opening, we hear Governor Walls and, and, and yourself and, um, kind of uh, having to contemplate and, and and think very critically about, we know it's complex, it's not black and white. You know, there's some Minnesotans who are very frustrated and want to quickly open and be able to get back to some of that normalcy and others who are worried and fearful. And I, is there anything you'd like to say to, to Minnesotans, families who are on both sides of those kind of feelings and realities about reopening and kind of what that looks like for us? For sure. Um... I think every family in Minnesota is hurting. Um, we're just not all hurting in the same way. And so, um, you know, like I said before, this crisis falls hardest on families who are already in crisis. And uh, for families of color, uh, for Native families, um, this can also be a reminder of the, the gaps in support for our communities and how, again, we are often uh, invisible. Um, you know, for families who have uh, loved ones who are, um, who have either, uh, you know, been diagnosed with, with COVID, um, have been affected by it, or for folks who have lost family members, or for people who um, have loved ones or they themselves have underlying conditions, which we know for uh, for our communities, for communities of color, um, uh, that this is something that weighs heavy on people consistently. So the idea of reopening too soon, I think, is is terrifying um, for you know for for many of our our communities. Um, families who rely on the income of of small businesses, um, maybe one that's been in their family for generations. Uh, you know that the idea the idea of um, opening too late for those folks uh, is is also terrifying. So, um, you know, we know that that people um, that there are emotions and there are risks on on each side of this is why and that's why we're trying to be really intentional and use data um, and uh, rely on our epidemiologists uh, and healthcare community to be able to do this in a way um, that puts uh, the fewest number of people um, at risk and. Uh, Again, the, the pandemic has really hit every aspect of our lives. And, and I want to just say to, to Minnesotans who are living in fear um, that uh, I see you and I hear you and I value you. And you are the people who we think about um, as we make these decisions every single day. Um, there's not uh, an easy solution or a perfect solution. Um, and all of these challenges, uh, you know, hurt 
Um, so uh, I also think that that Minnesotans are responding in a way where um, most of us have come together and most of us are helpers. And I, I you know, think about often, um, you know, that Mr. Rogers line where he said, you know, for children who are um, who are afraid or, or during a crisis, you know, he said, my mother often told me to look for the helpers. And the good news is that there are helpers all over the place in, in Minnesota. We asked people to make homemade masks and uh, we received a uh, 137,430 masks uh, that were delivered to fire departments. Um, and literally every single fire department in the state of Minnesota received those masks. So those are the things I think that um, also uh, are the, the bright spots um, in this challenge and pandemic and that uh, are the things that we need to, to remember as uh, we are navigating the situation together. It's all new. Um, it will continue for quite some time, and we're going to have to figure out how to cope and adapt. And there are detractors who may uh, put themselves and others at, at risk during this time and who may react from a place of fear and violence. And um, uh, that's scary. But I think the overwhelming majority of Minnesotans want to do right uh, by each other. Uh, and I think that's what we can can see right now. I love that the storm, the tests are going off <laughs> right, right now. Sure. I mean, this is this is how we adapt in pandemic. That's right. <laughs> okay, looking at time, I just have one more question. Yeah. So in a place of many unknowns, what does the next year look like for Minnesota? Uh, um, that's a really great question. And I, I wish that I had a crystal ball uh, to be able to, to tell folks what the, the future holds. Um, but I think, you know, what we know is that this virus has laid bare uh, and exacerbated the existing inequities in our system. And I hear folks uh, say often, you know, I can't wait to get back to normal. And what I want to say is that normal was not working for us. Um, normal was a place where uh, we had deep inequities uh, uh, in in our community as far as you know wages, access to healthcare, education, and that too often um, you know those those disparities and equities uh, are are plaguing black and brown bodies. And so normal is not what I am interested in returning to, and I don't think the governor is interested in returning to normal either. Um, I want to, instead of get, getting back to normal, I think we need to get back to better. Um, and we are working with our Community Resiliency and Recovery Workgroup, which is grounded in ensuring that as we look towards recovery, that people of color, indigenous folks, immigrants and refugees are at the center of, of how we recover and that the solutions will not come from state government. Systems that are historically, um, you know, full of inequities and a, a system that has for a long time excluded our people. And uh, so we are gonna need to rely on uh, the community for those solutions and then determine how to best, uh, um, best integrate those into our recovery in the long term. So um, it shouldn't be getting, be about getting back to normal, it's getting back to better. Um, and I think for many of us, this is the moment that we were, were made for. 
uh, and uh, need to remember to take care of our spirits and to take care of ourselves as we navigate through this time, um, but that, that we can do this collectively and we can do this together. Chimiquich, many thank yous, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan, for joining me today and taking time out of your very busy schedule and just for everything that you do and all of your advocacy for all of us across Minnesota. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much um, for this opportunity, Chimiquich. I um, am so grateful for uh, the work that you do every day and that as our, our you know, social workers and those who care for others, um, it's the work. And it is incredibly important. Um, so just so much gra- gratitude and love in my heart um, for uh, for you and for everyone who, who does this work on the front lines to make us even better um, to all of the helpers. So thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare. This podcast was produced by Karina Berry. Our series editors were Denise Cooper and Cliff Dahlberg. Music was composed by Big Cats. And this podcast was supported in part by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Human Services Children and Family Services Division. For more information, please visit the CASHU website at cascw.umn.edu. Thank you for listening and stay well, everyone.